Welcome to Live on Platerscape. I am Mario V. This is episode 40, The Climate Health Crisis with Margarita Vossen. I hope you enjoy my interview with Margarita. I recently started a new job, but before my current job, I worked in medical education for many years. And towards the end, I noticed three ironies of healthcare in relation to the climate crisis. So first of all, the climate crisis is recognized to be the greatest threat to public health. The Lancet last year even said that health is now at the mercy of fossil fuels. But the healthcare industry itself is also a big factor in contributing to climate change and to pollution. For instance, in the Netherlands, 7% of the national CO2 emissions, which is just as big as the aviation industry. So that's quite ironic that healthcare, which is supposed to cure people, also contributes to the greatest threat to public health at this moment. The second irony is that this message of climate science has been heard for decades and the impact of health is maybe a little bit younger, but we've been hearing it for many years as well. And healthcare practitioners pride themselves in being evidence-based. But in this particular case, they don't follow the science. You could compare it to the 1950s and 1960s when there was evidence for smoking and the relationship between smoking and cancer, but doctors were still smoking. Well, at this moment, there's a lot happening in relation to climate and healthcare, but not even close to saying that they take it as one of the priorities or even the top priority. And the third irony is that, well, from my own experience, I've seen a lot of people taking the lead in relation to climate in the last few years that I was doing this job. But in almost all cases, they were younger than me or they were even students. And this is ironic because it creates a situation where students are often more knowledgeable and taking more leadership on this important healthcare issue than their teachers. Well, I wrote some articles on this, which I linked in the description. And one article, my co-authors and I outline how the bystander dilemma can explain the lack of evidence-based action in the climate crisis. And there's another in which I argue that climate activism is, or at least could be seen as professional for healthcare practitioners. But let me introduce Margarita Vossen, because she is an actual doctor. <laughs> Margarita Vossen is a medical doctor who has worked in several areas in medicine. And she's worked in the Netherlands, in Zambia, in Lesbos, in Moldavia. And currently she's working as a general practitioner or family doctor in the south of the Netherlands. She's an ambassador for the Dutch Green Healthcare Alliance, and she's a member of the Green General Practitioner. In this role, she tries to build a more sustainable primary healthcare and to reduce its environmental impacts. She's also part of Extinction Rebellion, specifically in the XR Healthcare Professional Circle. Good morning, Mario. Thanks for having me. So we're at the Utrecht Science Park, and you told me that this is a familiar place to you. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice this uh, this morning to uh, to bike to Utrecht Science Park because this is the place where I studied medicine, and Utrecht is also the place I I, I grew up. Um, so it's been seven and a half years ago since I think I was last here. Yeah, yeah. Did something change? Well, actually, what I found is the the like the rainbow zebra crossing. 
Um, I'm pretty sure we didn't have that one when I studied here. So it was uh, it was good to see some progress. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you decide to study medicine? Um, I don't really know. <laughs> um, I think it was my mom who always said when I grew up as a child, like, oh, you have to, to find a good job where you are meaningful to people. Uh, and maybe you can become a doctor. So growing up, I didn't know anything better than, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. That was my that was my goal in life. And happily, that suits me really well. So I think she made a Well, she didn't make the choice for me, but she pushed me towards the good direction, which suits me well. Yeah, yeah. I also studied in Utrecht, and to me, studying medicine was always like the example of what I didn't want to do. At least what I mm. heard, like you have to study extremely hard, long working hours, long education as well, long mm -hmm. training as well. Mm -hmm. But you like you like to work hard, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and I'm a curious person, and. Um, I wanted a meaningful job to to really um, help individuals or, or people in their life, and I thought that becoming a doctor was the right thing uh, to do. Uh, did you do any specialty in your training? Uh, so the 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 study itself it's it's six years, and then like three years of theory, three years of practice, uh, like internships in hospitals and outside of hospitals. Uh, but during the study, there is no real specialty. No. No. Yeah. You. You. After six years, you're just a doctor, a medical doctor. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> and now you're a general practitioner. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And how did that happen? Did you decide that during your education already, or? Yeah, so I think a lot of people who start the studies, they all think, well, I'm never going to be a family medicine doctor or, or general practitioner because that's boring. It's only people who have colds, who have colds, and you just prescribe them paracetamol and that's it. Mm -hmm. But then during your traineeships, you, you, you go to hospitals, you do your traineeships, and then I noticed, well, I, I, I want to see the person behind the disease, and uh, I don't like hierarchy. Um, and that's, I think, a bit of a culture, the culture in uh, hospitals. So a job outside of the hospital where you're really involved in people's lives, that suits me best. So that is family medicine. Why is it so important to see the person behind the disease? Because that's the thing which, um, which makes if, if, if a treatment works or not, uh, That's well. That's how I think. I think context is so important. Like, what do you find important in life? Um, how is your life? Uh, what made you sick in the first place? And that's well, not like here. Here's your medicine, and that's it. Well, I'm 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 exaggerating. Of course, yeah. that's not like um, how people always operate in hospitals. But that's the feeling I remember I got in the hospitals. Um, And as a family medicine doctor, you also see healthy people, which is also really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not all sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I worked at the GP department, right? I think someone, in when I just started working there, someone told me, yeah, being a GP is very easy. Uh, half of your <laughs> patients, uh, it's going to pass anyway. No. Uh, their yeah. disease, and the other one will die anyway, no matter what no. you do. <laughs> well, time is an important factor. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you wait long enough, yeah. yeah. Um, people don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. But that's something you say to patients, right? Okay, why don't you come back in a week and 
We'll see how things Yeah, happen. it's 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 shared decision making. So it's I never feel like I decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you try to decide with the person in front of you. Uh, and I think people want reassurance a lot of times. So what what do I have? Is yeah. it something serious? Um, and they don't all want like medicine or treatment. They just want to be heard and to discuss their problems. And then waiting is a very very important yeah, option. You have to be patient. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we always want to just if something if we have a problem we just want to fix it right. Yeah, and I think that's becoming more and more in this uh, in this society. Now you're talking to people about climate a lot, and you're busy with this uh, topic. Mm-hmm. And is there anything in your medical training, like any skills that you learned that are useful now? Like you just mentioned shared decision making. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that's something that you can also... Uh, yeah, we 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 need shared decision making, mm-hmm. right, in the mm-hmm. climate crisis. Yeah, yeah. But are there other examples as well? Yeah, I think the 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 best example is we call it, I think, in English, motivational interviewing. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's asking a lot of questions. What is going on in people's minds? What do, do they find important? Why do they think what they think? I use this a lot in in the in my work when. Uh, you discuss lifestyle and healthy lifestyle or for example um, if somebody wants to stop smoking you're not going to tell them how to do this no first you want to to know okay so why do you smoke what are reasons to smoke why what are reasons to to quit smoking why are you here what brought you here what happened in your life um and those questions you can also use when discussing uh, the climate crisis and how would you use them? I think listening, 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 which you learn during GP training. Not really, I think, in, in medical med school, but in GP training. Um, and then asking questions and not bringing up the solutions immediately. Right. Yeah. So again, you have to be very patient. Yeah, I think that's not my best quality. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm practicing. Yeah. I'm learning. Yeah. A few uh, months ago, I spoke to Lee McIntyre about his book, How to Talk to a Science Denier. Mm, mm-hmm. It's funny because he mentions, he in his book, he writes something similar. That's one of the skills you have to develop when talking to science deniers. And then I'm talking like flat earthers. Or, okay, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, they're also climate science deniers. But is this skill of listening, being patient, mm. uh, also, I think you have to know yourself a little bit, right? Because sometimes people say things and they uh, touch you personally or emotionally. Yeah, yeah, that that happens. And what I always find difficult is that l- listening and asking questions it takes time, and you really like you plant a seed, and you're you don't know when it's going to start to grow. Um, and sometimes I feel, like, do we have the time? But then also I don't want to to use another technique because then maybe people get angry or they feel like um, you're saying something which they're doing wrong and then that can have like a negative effect. Mm. But it is hard. It is hard to bite your tongue sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When you're talking lifestyle changes, then I imagine people who want to quit smoking or people who... Uh, you know, if they're if they don't start living healthier, they they will get a heart attack or something. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's something a situation where 
you have to change your lifestyle otherwise i mean you don't have to mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but if you don't do it there will probably be consequences yeah too. yeah and 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 the thing is with healthy lifestyle uh, conversations is sometimes it takes months or even years for people to to let it sink in yeah uh, and then they come back to you oh yeah that conversation uh, okay i want to come back and i want to discuss further steps uh, I think it's the same with climate action or climate conversations. You never know when you, you you push the right button or when you plant the right seed. And when this did this seed emerge for you? Did yeah. did you have that your whole life already that you were concerned about our environment and nature? Yeah, I think so. Uh, as a child, I remember like all my um, like assignments in in uh, elementary school and high school, there were a lot about nature and animals and Wereld Natuurfonds, uh, um, the World Nature Federation. So I always found nature and animals important. But I was eating meat and fish, so yeah, it did something to me. But I think what hit me is, I think two and a half years ago. So I live in the south of uh, Limburg. That's the the southern province of the Netherlands. Um, And then there was really, really heavy rainfall. And I sing in a choir every Friday night. And I remember that moment when people started texting, well, I'm not sure if we're going to sing tonight because we have to evacuate. Mm. And people started sending pictures of their furniture, which they were moving up, and also sandbags in front of the hospital in the city where I live, in Maastricht. And was it raining, or was it thunderstorms? So it was really, really heavy rainfall um, up the river, uh, the Maas River. So the the Maas River was about to flood. So a lot of people were evacuated because of flooding, and a lot of parts in... Germany, Belgium, and also uh, the the province flooded, but the the city where I live, I think they said, if the the Mass River was two centimeters higher, it would have flooded, and then uh, the neighborhood where I sing would be flooded, the hospital, um, the the Huisart supposed so where GPs work after hours would be flooded, and I remember that for me was the moment which hit me most because I was very like, I I made sustainable choices in my life. I I bought secondhand clothes. I was really uh, thinking whether to fly or not, uh, what I'm eating. But then I realized, okay, this is a real serious problem, which is maybe more urgent than I knew. Mm -hmm. And what can I do more? Yeah. So that thought. Yeah. This mindset of, but if I connect it to myself, I was also env- concerned with the environment. And we had this slogan in the Netherlands, a better milieu begint met yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a better environment mm-hmm. starts with you. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be good, basically. You have to recycle. You have to, yeah, watch uh, your lifestyle and everything like that. But you were already doing that. Yeah. And it was more about, yeah, because we care about nature, we have to save, you know, the polar bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that kind of imagery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But so now, uh, yeah, I think this is what people refer to as their oh fuck moment yep. in the climate crisis. Yep. <laughs> or yeah. oh shit moment, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this is real. There's something yeah. really going on. And it's, yeah. 
it was so strange because two days later I was cycling um, through some uh, um, nature with my husband um, in, in Belgium, which is like 15 minutes from where I live. And that was close to the Maas River. And you couldn't see anything happened because the Maas River was still a bit high, but not as high as it was. But there were plastic bags two meters up in the trees. Ugh. So that was how high the Maas River was there. And it was surreal. I never experienced anything like this. Those plastic bags, I think those were was my oh shit moment. And yeah. I'm still to this day... I'm a bit sad I didn't uh, take pictures of that because that was my moment. It was surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw also refrigerators like in the fields and uh, um, campers because one of the, the campings flooded, which is super close by the, the river. And those were just everywhere. And dead fish. And it was it was crazy. Yeah. But... Rivers flood sometimes. So how did you how did you connect this to climate? Yeah, I think it was the first time in my memory that um, the mass was so high, and also a lot of people were talking about it. Um, but of course, rivers flood. But it was for me. I saw this with my own eyes, and that for me made the difference. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's so much more than seeing a flood on the news. I think if you see this with your own eyes, yeah, then it which hits we you. have plenty of opportunities to see now, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, New yeah. York, uh, Libya, uh, Pakistan, uh, not so long ago. Yeah, it Italy this summer yeah. or in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like in uh, that was a while ago, but in my interview, Hannah Prince said half of the world is going to be on fire and the other way underwater or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel guilty because I knew I knew how severe climate change was, but it's so stupid that then this needs to happen first mm -hmm. for people to, to to become active. But that's how yeah how it worked for me. It's a different kind of knowledge when you see plastic bags in the trees. Yeah. I think yeah. so. But again, this question, so I'm asking you now, okay, people say, yeah, you know, it's it's very bad, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. So how do you know that this is related mm. to climate? I mm -hmm. mean, this specific flooding of the Maas River, how do you know that specific flooding is yeah. related to climate? Yeah. I don't know if you, so I'm not a climate science, scientist, I'm, I'm just a medical doctor. But if you if you read the scientific uh, papers, uh, you see that the, the chance of flooding is so much higher than it was, for example, 30 years ago because of climate change. So the, the, the chances that, that the rivers are high, the chances of heavy rainfall, of, of thunderstorms, those are higher than were before. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see this again. And again, and again. Yeah, and we have seen it already, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a report about, uh, I think this had to do with Maastricht, where they say, well, basically the limits of adaptation mm -hmm. are reached. So we cannot, I mean, you can say you have to build dikes or whatever along the Maas River, yeah. so it ha won't happen next time. But yeah, even that, and in a country like the Netherlands, where, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we'll be fine, right? Uh, for at least for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll yeah. be fine. But other other parts of the world, they are not. So yeah. that, that's the. Uh, it's it's a it's an unequal situation. Yeah. 
Okay, so you had your oh shit moment yeah, and then, yeah. then what did you do? Well, I let it sink in for a while. And what I saw is that after a week, I don't think people really forgot the floodings, but it was not really a subject anymore. Like life goes on. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case for me. I was so shocked and, and I was thinking about it every day. And then suddenly I had the thought, okay, what can I do more? Which I just said, I'm a healthcare professional. Can I do something in my job? And I was also really frustrated, like, okay, I did med school, which is a scientific um, uh, university, um, well, education, scientific education. I never learned anything about climate change. Uh, in my family medicine training, we didn't discuss the subject at all. So I was a bit, frus a bit frustrated, like, this is so important. Why is this not in our um, education program? Mm -hmm. But also, why isn't this a subject um, in my work? So I was, I let it sink in and I thought, okay, what can I do? And I just uh, had like one crazy idea. I was in a, in a conference uh, with a lot of GP trainees from Europe. Uh, it was in Amsterdam um, and we had a barbecue. And I, back then I was like a flexitarian, so I didn't eat a lot of meat, but sometimes I did, but I, I chose the, the vegetarian burger. But there were only like 10 vegetarian burgers and I think hundreds of meat burgers. And this was, I think, two weeks after the floods. And then I realized, okay, this is strange. Why is there so much meat in this uh, conference where we, I mean, we are all healthcare professionals. We are all about healthy, healthy life, healthy planet, I hope. And so I started to ask questions to, to people and to friends who were there like, are you also surprised? And nobody was really surprised. But when I asked the questions, would you mind if the whole conference was vegetarian? And every single person said, no, I wouldn't mind. But now, of course, I'm going to eat the meat burger because I didn't sign up as a vegetarian. And otherwise, I'm going to eat your vegetarian burger. And then I came up with the idea, why do we still serve meat um, in conferences and medical conferences can can we change this so that was my first idea but why how is this related to climate because i can imagine for health reasons yeah yeah of course i'm a vegetarian as well mm -hmm. not for yeah i didn't start out to be for health reasons but. yeah yeah so i it was an idea i had and the feeling like this is not right and so i started to to study the subject yeah. um and then i found the science and it was just much worse than I thought. The The impact of especially red meat uh, is super high. Like the amount of water um, uh, you, is needed for the, the, the livestock industry and, and especially in, in cows and growing soy for the cows, not for people, but for the cows so we can eat the cows. And then the impact on the world and climate is just so, so big. It shocked me. I didn't know this. I had this idea, okay, I think it's not good, but let's read into this. Um, and if you want to do something, like if you want to keep your like um, environmental footprint low as a person or a medical conference, then the first thing you can do is just uh, don't eat meat, don't serve meat. For me, this was an idea which I thought, oh, this is super simple. Why 
can't we just start doing this? Yeah, and I guess not just for yourself, but thinking, well, if the whole conference does that, yeah, there's, uh, you know, at least a couple of hundred people at the conference. Mm-hmm. So that has bigger impact than if you do it yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you proposed that and did they, I mean, they said, okay, <laughs> because I've had those conversations <laughs> where people say, yeah, we wouldn't mind that. We think it's better and still uh, there's meat. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't really change mm-hmm. much. And I've talked to people as well on the podcast that had many of these conversations where they say, yeah, great idea. We should do this. And then nothing happens. So yeah. I'm curious, did it happen or? <laughs> well, it did. But like what I did is I I started asking around, like I was never in touch with other green healthcare professionals. So yeah. first I I, 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 uh, I found them online and we had this like small online meeting where I pitched my uh, my proposal um, and we, we, we started building a network. And what I, what I started is I, I started like writing like a paper, two pages with arguments yeah. because I thought I would get arguments to not do this to to not make a medical conference vegetarian but after a couple of months i i had the courage and i wrote to the the uh, gp conference like for gp trainees and uh, the gp conference so it's it's by the the dutch uh, general practitioner federation the netherlands huisartsgenootschap and to my surprise both of them just said oh that's a good idea let's do this so i i never even needed my two pages of, of arguments and that was that surprised me that's great because yeah i'm especially by when was this uh, 2021 ah okay yeah and are now all gp conferences vegetarian yeah they're still they still are i i, I emailed them last year so yeah. oh you're going to do an extra conference and is it still vegetarian it was a short email i, I they replied yeah of course yeah <laughs> But this was for GP trainees, right? No, this was for GPs. Ah, okay, it's actually the, yeah. the GP trainees uh, who next year they they doubted if it was still a good idea. Yeah. And I think the argument people always say like, we think it's a good idea, but we're a bit hesitant what the, the attendees will think and if they will like it. But then I said, okay, well, last year it was, it was good. Uh, if you don't do this anymore, it's really a step back. And they did this, and I know for next year it's not even in discussion anymore. It's still vegetarian. Yeah, so nice. So I like to follow this way how it big. I mean, it was a personal issue for mm-hmm. you, and then it became maybe really personal. You start to ask, okay, how can I can I do something with this professionally? Yeah. And so the first step was to connect with others who, yeah, also felt the same way, and just to think, okay, I mean, I can stop eating meat, but what if we do it collectively? Yeah. Um, uh, but obviously it went further, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when I started to building this uh, network, I found other um, healthcare professionals who were also, yeah, we call this green uh, within my GP training. Yeah. Uh, so there's this group, um, how do you call this? Yeah, the, the LOVA, you, you know this, how would you describe? Yeah, it's like a student, uh, no, not, not student, because obviously you're already a practicing doctor, mm-hmm. but you're in training for GPs yes. and you're the organization of the GP. Yeah, so training. GP trainee organization. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And within it. this organization, there was already a, a group, like a sustainability group. So 
I found out and I thought, oh, okay, yeah. wow, let's join. And I think that was the, fir- the where, I, where I took my next steps. Right. Yeah. And if you went to your uh, education institute, were they also vegetarian? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So, no, not yet. Yeah. yeah. And did you did you propose the same in your I mean because there are all the of course there are the conferences but there's also where mm-hmm. you have classes your education yeah. institute yeah. yeah. And those are of course the the teachers the the, the ones that teach you how to be a uh yeah. but they were still eating meat? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think they're still yeah. are. <laughs> they still are. Yeah. But yeah. I know yeah. in, in in like the 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 medicine trainees so the the students think they're just maybe because they're younger they're more progressive i don't know i, I feel this yeah. in for them but i know that they s- um start to to organize more vegetarian lunches yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah I, as you know <laughs> i worked for the gp training for a long time and uh the people i talked to about climate the experts they mm-hmm. were also almost always much younger than me many of them were students mm-hmm. And if there were any initiatives like this, then generally the people who would like resist it or block it were much older than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's new for them, and yeah. and I understand. I don't know how I would think about the subject ten years ago. I really don't know. Um, and it was also super uh, interesting to when discussing the subject within our like small online network, like an online meeting when we were. Uh, preparing for contra arguments we were also debating okay shall we say no meat or shall we say completely vegetarian so no meat and fish or shall we propose plant-based and of course the best thing to do for the environment is completely plant-based also without um, dairy like milk products uh, eggs but I didn't choose to do this because I was also preparing for those contra arguments and i thought maybe if i'm i they find me too radical then they won't listen anymore so i thought maybe just first take the first step make it vegetarian and especially no meat and then when that becomes the new normal then you can have the discussion about uh plant-based but this is interesting because there are also people who say no you really have to to push plant-based because obviously that's better yeah but in this case you're not basically doing what you're told, what you're taught in training, like look at the scientific evidence, mm-hmm. uh, how it relates <laughs> to health and make the healthy choices. Mm-hmm. So you're not just saying, well, actually here's, we're doing something. We have to t- make a lifestyle cho- choice as a, as a profession, as an education institute. Uh, here's the evidence. I mean, the evidence is, is pretty clear. Um, and we could do this thing and it would have a big impact if we would do this with the whole hospital. But you as a young doctor or young young doctor in training have to think, okay, but if I say this, maybe I'm being seen as too radical because yeah. I'm telling them the science. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. And yeah. I don't I don't want to pretend that this is normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we know that in the back in the 60s and everything, doctors were smoking as well, right? And, yeah. and uh, even when the scientific evidence was there, there was one doctor in the Netherlands, Dr. Meinsma, who was yeah being seen as a radical activist because he did his PhD on the links between smoking and cancer. And he was like, kind of ridiculed, but as well by his colleagues. Um, so, I mean, do you, is this too extreme if I make this comparison? 
because um, the comparison I'm making is that well, the the climate crisis has major health impacts. I would say even worse than on a on a national level than smoking and cancer. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like the comparison with smoking. I think it's a good comparison because that's also related to to my job. Yeah. So yeah, it is a good comparison, but but it is a difficult discussion because also I think when it when it comes to food, it's so it becomes it's, personal. It's becomes and personal. Emotional. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. You want to take away my meat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really. I mean, I could talk about this this progress and these thoughts of people for hours. Um, But I mean, I'm happy that people made those choice. And now looking back two years later, uh, there's, there are so many conferences and, and like workshops who are completely vegetarian or plant-based. I'm not saying it's uh, for me, but you have to be, somebody needs to be the first one. And actually um, I wasn't the first one. There were a lot of institutes who already did this. So I had this also in my two pager with uh, good um, examples. Uh, They were not the first one, but they, um, but now it becomes more normal and really, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I just want to mark that. I mean, because in previous episode, we also discussed about, you know, why aren't people acting if the science is so clear? But then we're speaking about people in general, right? I mean, and and yeah, you can say a lot about that. But now we're talking about the people whose whole thing is about we're evidence-based and we, we listen to the science. And even if the science tells us things that, you know, are not according to our preferences or we don't like them. I mean, that's the conversations you have mm-hmm. with patients too. I, I mean, I know you really like smoking, but you know, if you continue <laughs> doing it, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- those are the conversations you're trained to have with patients, but then it's apparently a different matter when it comes to following the science. Uh, yeah. yeah. As a, in this case, uh, GP training or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I mean, our world, uh, it's not a vegetarian world we live in. So no. everything different from that is seen as radical. Still, still is. Um, even with healthcare professionals and institutes and universities. It's yeah. it's a new thing. Um, so you have, you need this minority who starts up and, and speaking up. And then like this, uh, this ball starts rolling. I'm not sure if that's the English. Uh, <laughs> correct. Get the ball rolling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was the first step. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. We got some new coffee and tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very important. Um, yeah. So personally, I'm very interested in this idea that because you can say, of course, as an exa- as a professional, I have to give a good example, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah. One of the ways in which you could do that is to have vegetarian meals. And if you want to be like uh, sustainable as an organization, I mean, you could say make the argument for all organizations. Mm-hmm. It would be better if they were vegetarian. So that's not very um, specific for medical professionals. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that is that you would say about the climate crisis is really specific for medical professionals? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. As, as professionals, they have to be concerned with this yeah yeah definitely so there's a lot of things to say about this so in in the the summer of the the floods in uh, in the south of netherlands i think it's also that summer where 200 um, um medical magazines um medical science papers yeah or science papers they wrote the 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 climate crisis 
is a health crisis, a healthcare crisis. And also the WHO, they said the same. Well, they even said in the, that so there was a editorial, a common editorial of 200 medical journals mm -hmm. that even said it's the biggest threat of uh, our century. That's a different thing than saying, okay, you know, we, it's better to um, eat vegetarian and mm -hmm. it has health effects, right? Yeah. They say it's the biggest threat, you know, bigger than corona, cancer, uh, all those other things that you can yeah. think about. Yeah, it's so it's the biggest crisis of our century, of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I think that's also which uh, what was important for me. So I'm a healthcare professional and there are so many links which I didn't really see before. So many links be between the climate crisis and health, which we are seeing now. Um, it is a crisis. And I think that's also an important reason why healthcare professionals need to become involved in this subjects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are those? Because generally, when the topic is climate, mm -hmm. uh, I don't see a lot of people speaking about health, right? Yeah. So one of the things you said about the Mass River is that actually the the hospital had to close. Yeah. Or am I correct? Yeah. Or so yeah. Um, it was the emergency department and the like the GP out of office um, um, practice. They shut the doors. Yeah. There were sandbags everywhere because they say, I mean, if we're going to flood. Please don't don't come here. Um, and also another hospital in the north of Limburg and Venlo they closed as well. So that's like a threat which was seen with with your own eyes. Eh? The 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 extreme weather events are uh, they contribute a lot to to health. It's the ex accessibility of health. But of course, if there are floods, uh, the the impacts on you uh, socially, um, uh, but also mentally, uh, are big. Um, and like a, a, f a small example in the, the region where I live, there were also patients who lost their homes um, in the south of Netherlands. And it did a lot on their mental mental health, but of course also like stress levels, their sleep, their, uh, they stop taking medicine, you know, they have other things to, to worry about. But this is this is one thing which is um, where you can see the link with health, but there are so many more links. Like, <laughs> for example. Yeah, it, it's interesting because what one of the things I, just to you know, yeah. I understand because for you it's so obvious, mm -hmm. right? Because you're yeah. you live this. Yeah. And for me, to a certain extent as well, because I was also involved in the GP curriculum with planetary health and everything. Yeah. But it's so it's something that is so obvious for us that if I ask you, you say, yeah, of course. Yeah. And if I ask you to give one example, it's pretty hard because it's it's everywhere. Yeah. But that, uh, yeah. So people listening to this, they maybe they heard this for the mm -hmm. first. What the climate crisis yeah. is the biggest threat to global health. The you know I've said this a, a lot also online and everything. The mo the response I get like, uh, don't be an alarmist. Yeah, yeah. Don't be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I can't blame people. Um, one of the things I do now is I give a lot of workshops and talks about this subject, uh, a lot to to um, family medicine doctors. And I always ask them, um, okay, stand up if you see a link between uh, climate change and healthcare. Or I think um, what I ask them, stand up if you see this in your work. And it's always the minority who stands up. Mm -hmm. And... 
some of them they they say oh yeah i think i see more allergies and hay fever and then more people stand up oh yeah 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 you're completely right yeah yeah this this summer was really crazy like the exponential growth of uh, hay fever it's crazy like even this summer some medicines were out of stock can you imagine you you have snot everywhere and you can't even you can't work. Some people can't work because they're so, so allergic. It's it's horrible. And then the medicines are out of stock. And how is this connected to climate? Because um, uh, because of the warmth uh, and more hot summers and hot springs, um, some of the, the trees which people can be allergic uh, for the, the season where they are Bluian, what is the English word? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> like the, when when there are poles in, in the bloom, air, yeah, is longer. So f- first, it was maybe a couple of months. No, the allergy season starts in January. Right, it's winter, and then the last couple of years it starts in January, and it lasts longer, and it's also more severe. And what I what I learned is also when the CO two level in the atmosphere is higher, then the poles which you are allergic for, they're be- they're be- becoming more uh, strong hmm. so we call this allergenicity so that goes up so there are different factors which make hay fever a bigger problem mm-hmm. in the last couple of years yeah that's interesting also because it's these kind of feedback loops right mm-hmm. like uh, uh okay the season is longer it's it's drier and also uh, the the pollen that are there are also having a bigger effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is a small um, example which I uh, I tell people about because this oh, you see this in your personal life. Everybody yeah. knows somebody with hay fever, and as doctors, as, as family medicine doctors, we we get overwhelmed by by people calling for medicine for this. So this is one example. Yeah. Not yet the, the biggest health no. crisis of our time, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, hay no, fever no. is very serious, I know that. Yeah, and people can also, um, I think when you're severe allergic, it's like working with two pints of beer. You can't really work effectively. You can't function, yeah. You can't really function, yeah. So that's one, one example. Um, but also uh, uh, another example is uh, the, we should not forget mental health, I think. Um, for example, when we have more heat waves, you see rising temperature causes more aggression, and more people using drugs and alcohol, and suicide rates go up. Mm. There's this direct link between the temperature and mental health. Okay, yeah. Which is crazy. So <laughs> not me. because people are worrying about uh, mm-hmm. something, but mm-hmm. just because it's hotter. Yeah. yeah, because it's hotter and people get more aggressive. Like I think it does something with your emotions, uh, which become more extreme. And I think what all healthcare professionals can relate to is in heat waves, people die. A lot of people, especially in elderly homes, which uh, of course they're more vulnerable because they have... Uh, heart disease and diabetes and they use medicine and then there comes a heat waves and it does something with uh, with the body and in heat waves more people die like elderly homes they lose a lot of people yeah i saw some figures if i remember correctly it was last year it was over europe it was about sixteen thousand extra 
uh, that in, mm -hmm. in summer, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I read the same, yeah. yeah. One of the things that, that frustrates me most is that the news or major news organizations in the Netherlands, it's called the NOS, mm -hmm. when there's like a record temperature, they, they, had, they did it again. September was the hottest month, and then you see like people on terraces, and then see... Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like when there's like forest fires where people die and you show a picture of children roasting marshmallows yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's still, it's now October. I, I'm, I love warm weather. So I love that it's warmer now. Mm -hmm. But if you have a news, yeah, this is just one of the things in the public imagination, I think, that we still, we, yeah, we do associate with warmer weather, especially in the Netherlands. Yeah, great. I mean, yeah, so nice. But yeah, yeah. it's great if you're not, uh, yeah, uh, one of those people that <laughs> dies yeah. or loses family or something. Like yeah, that. And, and and it's also this crisis is it's so unequal. Um, I work in in two practices, and I those two practi practices are in neighborhoods where people have like lower social economic status. They cannot afford air conditioning. They Their jobs they do are um, making streets or they stand in the markets. Those professions, they are super... It's working in those hot conditions. It's super difficult. I mean, I, I praise myself a very lucky person that I can work in a practice which is isolated or has an air conditioning. But not everybody has this, this luxury position. And that makes me frustrated as well. And, and, and that... That, that put sparks on my like fire to to speak out on the subject because it is unequal also yeah, the climate in our country climate justice yes we had this um philosopher of course who published an op-ed saying that yeah it doesn't matter if we go over two degrees because we can just all have air conditioning <laughs> yeah which world does he live in <laughs> yeah well he's a philosopher so, yeah you know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> different kind of world yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah okay so you mentioned a few things already what and and i think the things you're mentioning are relevant for you're speaking about now right yeah. at like we're now at what um, 1.2 mm -hmm. degrees warming globally which is in in europe it's uh like uh, over two degrees and with heat extremes it's like four degrees mm -hmm. so it means that the heat wave of uh what would be now like 25 degrees would already be almost 30 degrees mm -hmm. standard yeah mm -hmm. so yeah so that's a big impact but is that i mean does it ju justify to say this is the biggest health threat to our uh of our day for me it feels like so and i think if over if the who says so and if if those all those um scientific uh, papers say so who am i to say it's not i mean it's it's science Right, I, I I had a scientific uh, education. Who am I to doubt the science? Right. And also, we are always looking uh, at our country, but we are super privileged to live in in this wealthy country with dikes and air conditionings. I mean, I, I worked uh, in Zambia and I worked in refugee camps in Lesbos. Um, you and you and I, we could be those people living there. You, you did nothing to be raised in the Netherlands. Um, the crisis is already going on in the world, in other parts of the world, causing migration, for yeah. example, and uh, a difficult life. So how do you see, because this is 1.2 degrees and we're pretty sure we're going to 1.5 mm -hmm. uh, and maybe over. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you see this in terms of like, what do you think is relevant to know for healthcare professionals in that context? Mm -hmm. So I think there's uh, two things which are important. It's, uh, it's adaptation and mitigation. So first of all, mitigation. So how can you mitigate climate change? Like what is your responsibility? How as a healthcare professional do you contribute to pollution, um, to CO2 emissions, for example? I think that's one thing to discuss. And the other one is, okay, um, it's going to be more extreme. How can we adapt how can we make sure that, well, the, the effects, the negative effects can be less? And there's a lot of things we can do as healthcare professionals. Like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first, I always tell people, just just start somewhere. Uh, like I started with this vegetarian congr uh, conferences and then suddenly you, it's, it's like you put glasses on yeah. and, and like I call them green glasses and then you start seeing things which you've never seen. Like, why, I, why did I always do this? For example, like in, in my job, when people have uh, problems with their lungs, like asthma or COPD, those effects uh, are also like really seen with climate change. Uh, like more pollution, more, uh, more symptoms of, of, of uh, breathlessness and more COPD and asthma. But okay. So the health, the, the burden of disease will become bigger and we need to prescribe probably more medicine. But then if you choose the medicine, you can also think about the effects of those medicine. So I never really realized, um, okay, is there a choice? Is there even a choice for a medicine which is less polluting? And if you choose a medicine, also tell people, okay, how to use this correctly. And if it's uh, not working for you or... Um, if you have leftovers, what to do with those medicine? Because medicine in healthcare uh, are the most pollute, like the biggest polluters. And how how big do I have to think? Like the healthcare industry, of course, it has, you know, like any company or any any, any mm -hmm. industry, it has emissions, yeah, yeah. waste, so, everything. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a good question. The so the healthcare in the Netherlands on itself, like if you see the whole industry. 7% um, of all CO2 emissions or CO2 equivalents is from the, is, is from the healthcare industry. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much as, as big as the aviation industry. Yes, yes, <laughs> so it's a lot. So people concentrate a lot on flying and private jets and mm -hmm. everything like that. Mm -hmm. But the healthcare industry is just as polluting. It's just as polluting. And then when you zoom in how we pollute, it's... It's medicine. Our medicines are super pollu pollu uh, polluting. First of all, uh, the production process, which uh, is mostly outside of Europe, you know, because it's cheaper there in yeah. China and India, it's super polluting there. But then also um, when it's here, and for example, it um, you have leftovers and, and you need to burn them or uh, you need to get rid of them, then they come in our water. And then they are super bad for the biodiversity uh, and the whole ecosystem. That's quite ironic. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, if you're going to use the word <laughs> ironic, this is, I mean, the healthcare industry is supposed to prevent health mm -hmm. damage and make people better, yeah. right? But if I follow you, they're a major contributor to why people get sick, you know, yeah. people die because of heat waves, mm -hmm. because of stress, because of 
pollutants and mm-hmm. I think uh, also yeah there's a it, yeah it's a paradox <laughs> one, right one it's, of the it's, things it's... where I'm lost for worse because it's like I mean I've we've talked about this more it's a paradox but it's uh, we don't have to skip over that it's just kind of absurd it is it is a vicious circle so okay so people become sick and then we we give them medicine which pollute which make people more sick so that is the the vicious circle and the paradox we're in and i think it's very important that we i think we are trained to look in an individual level that's uh that's very big in in like med school you look at the individual patient in front of you but what i like to do and i think what is important to do is to zoom out okay i have an individual in front of me but what is the effect on a broader level, on, on, on society or on the ecosystem? Mm. How can I do the best for both? And that's, uh, I think that's super important. So I would never give you, Mario, bad medicine. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, in the back of my mind, I always have the, the impacts on the environment. And then um, sometimes I discuss them with patients, especially with lung medicine. Like when you're a child, there's not much to choose from because there's only one inhaler you can use as a child because your 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 eye-hand coordination, yeah, when you're three years old, I cannot tell you, oh, breathe in now and, and hold your breath. But when, you, when you're past seven years old and you become a teenager or an adult, then there's this whole variety of medicines you can choose from. And a lot of them are like 15 times less pol- And people don't know this and a lot of doctors don't know this. But that's a very big impact you can have when you make such a small decision to choose for uh, a different inhaler. So that's the kind, same kind of thinking why you don't just prescribe antibiotics to everybody because maybe it will help this individual patient uh, get better soon, but mm-hmm. it also means that there's more resistance mm-hmm. to uh, or less res- more resistance. More, to yeah, anti- more, yeah. Uh, more <laughs> antibiotic resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So what do you do with this knowledge? I think you're you're giving workshops and, mm-hmm. and teaching your colleagues basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you when you join this like is it is it climate movement or or well let's call this climate movement movement. I, I I just found out that there were more healthcare professionals who were struggling with the same. Okay, I am yeah. polluting and this is a healthcare crisis and what can I do? How how can I contribute? Uh, and this movement is is growing, and um, so within my work field uh, now, I, I I graduated as a general practitioner, and I'm part of like the the green general practitioner, the Groene Huisarts, um, and we see like okay, how can we talk with uh, with organizations within our fields? Uh, how can we make our pension funds uh, divest from fossil fuel subsidies? Uh, but also, how can we teach our colleagues? Because you don't know if nobody told you. So just to because you say the pension funds of GPs, uh, of GPs. Inf- invest in fossil fuels. Yeah, yeah, like still seventy-five million uh, euros each year. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is the major uh, driver behind the climate mm-hmm. change? That mm-hmm. is the biggest health threat of. Yeah. Uh, our time. Yeah. So so okay. that's we found that's, another irony. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the, that's those green glasses you put on. Like I never thought about the effects of my pension funds or my money. And when you are um, becoming more you more and more involved in this subject, some, suddenly you see things you never saw. Um, 
Yeah, and one of the things I do is, is uh, as part of the, the Green GP, but also the Green Health uh, Alliance, so the Groene Zorg Alliantie, which is like a big organization where all green healthcare professionals can be part of. I'm an ambassador for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as an ambassador for them, I give workshops and talks on conferences, uh, you name it. Uh, you can ask me and, and I'll, I'll happily come to you to yeah. discuss the subject. And what? How do you approach those workshops? I mean, you're that's and specifically you're talking to colleagues. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's of course the content where you say maybe you don't know that the climate crisis is the biggest threat to global health, and here are the facts, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I that's you could put that on a PowerPoint, <laughs> right? Yeah. So maybe that's the question. Like, what else do you do besides putting the information on the PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. Um, well, to be honest, it's still a learning progress. I started doing this, um, I think, one and a half year ago. Before, like, For my own colleagues, I was still a GP trainee, and that was my first workshop. I did like a summer school for my own GP trainee colleagues, and I started with facts, a lot of facts, and I thought that was, that was the... the the thing to to persuade show them, show them the evidence yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you have to have a discussion so i always start with uh, questions so okay what do you which sustainable choices do you make as a in your personal life and then you see everybody uh, stands up oh i have solar panels or i eat vegetarian or i fly less and then i ask them the question but what do you do which sustainable choices do you make as a healthcare professional and then you see people thinking, like the same thoughts I had two years ago after the floods. You see people thinking, oh, it's actually really strange. I do so much in my personal life, but I never thought of sustainable choices as a doctor. And again, if the if people think about flying less because the aviation industry yeah. is so polluting and you work as the as a doctor and the healthcare industry is just as polluting as the aviation yeah. industry. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, uh, I always I also make that comparison, but it's important to say that a lot of aviation is as tourists and it's not like your basic uh, need in life mm-hmm. and healthcare is. So the comparison is good, uh, but also the difference is that we are basic and, and, and I mean, we cannot shut down healthcare, um, but we can think uh, in terms of, okay, how can we do better? How can we damage less? So if we go back to seven and a half years ago, when I graduated from medical school, I made this Hippocrates oath. You, you know, we say primum non nocere, which is, which means first do no harm. And that's the paradox. We do harm by providing healthcare. That's a paradox indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so and and when coming back to my workshops, we I give them information like, okay, the impact of medicine, which choices can you make? I think a big big part of the, the workshop is also healthy lifestyle. Um, because if we invest in prevention and if we have those conversations about healthy lifestyle, we can prevent people from becoming sick and needing healthcare and needing medicines that is the biggest biggest impact you can make yeah if you don't take the car you pollute For example, less yeah but yeah. you're biking you're healthier yeah. mm-hmm. you don't need uh, heart medication later on yeah you don't need the surgery which is i think one of the most polluting things mm-hmm. you can have mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and there's 
with uh, when talking about healthy lifestyle, there are only advantages. There are literally no disadvantages if you choose to start making healthy choices. It's good for almost everything, for yourself on an individual level, for your family, but also for society and, and our planet. Yeah, and just to repeat what you said earlier, the issue of of climate justice, right? Like the and and the, how do you call that intersectionality? So, like uh, I think in general, uh, women have more uh, somewhere. I don't know how much, <laughs> but in general, and mm-hmm. and but so if you're a, a woman in like a low income neighborhood with a lot of concrete everywhere. So so your neighborhood doesn't cool down in the night, but mm-hmm. you also can't afford air conditioning and you live in, you rent a house, mm-hmm. which is also poorly maintained and everything like that. And then uh, a man in like a, a lush neighborhood with a lot of green who also has an air conditioning. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think those are all across the boards, like all these differences that you uh, mm-hmm. pay attention to as a healthcare professional. Yeah, really. yeah. yeah. That is one of my biggest drivers, that that, that in, un, unequal systems and also the way climate change hits people in an unequal way. It's mm-hmm. always the vulnerable people, uh, children, women, people of color, uh, queer persons. Um, they're always more, more vulnerable. Okay, Plato's cave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're a doctor, I know, because I know some, like, some promotion for, I wrote two books on philosophy in medical education so i think it's actually i really like the link between philosophy and doctors because you know uh doctors and philosophers are groups in society who voluntarily think about things like death and suffering uh dilemmas and all those other things that most people in society don't really think about uh, too much because why would you think about it you know it's not nice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i want to ask you what i'm curious how you see this story of plato's allegory yeah yeah so okay i have to be honest this was completely new for me (laughs) i always feel a bit stupid when it comes to philosophy and and you know I'm, i'm just i'm just a medical doctor and uh but I found it so interesting when I read when I read into this, and I I think you told me like there are still people doing their PhDs on this on this allegory. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you can see it from so many yeah. um, parts. And when I read the story, the first thing that came up to me f- was I felt like this um, person living in that cave before the floods. Like I thought I knew everything about sustainability and and sustainable life. But I didn't see uh, how I could have an impact as a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's also the system where you are raised in and, and educated in. They, they want you to see that the system as it is now, there's no other way. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, the, we, are, we need fossil fuels and we need to, to, to be doctors on an individual level and um, climate change, yeah, it's happening. But what what can you do? Yeah, maybe as an individual, but we cannot change the system. And then you turn around. So I'm that. I'm that. That's the oh shit moment. <laughs> yeah, that's the oh shit moment. And then you're in that cave, looking at at all these um, shades, and you think, okay, this is the world. And then you put on those green glasses, and you become unchained. And then you turn around, and then you see the real world and how it can be. Uh, and how you are free to 
to have discussions and and to criticize the system because you live in a democracy mm. and you have free choice yeah that for me that for me is plato's right so also your your agency that you're not you don't just have to follow what people are used to doing mm -hmm. but you you can you're not i mean you're not a rebel or something like that uh, okay maybe also, <laughs> I, I take that what back. do you mean <laughs> <laughs> so we have to go from uh, proposing a vegetarian lunch to you getting voluntarily arrested yeah <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so you, yeah, that, uh, what I wanted to say is that you realize that as a professional, yeah. you, there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. On, 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 on different levels. Yeah. So as a healthcare professional, as an individual, um, as, uh, just someone, uh, having a pension fund, you can criticize the system. Yeah. And I really, really, really believe you can change the system. Yeah, I read somewhere that GPs are in the top five of the most people believe most about climate change, right? So I think even if you're saying to someone, I mean, if I'm talking to someone and you're talking to someone, you say, yeah, you know, I'm a doctor. And <laughs> I think that already makes a difference, right? Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. If you, if you ask people like who, who are most credible, I think the librarian and then the doctor and the nurse are always in the top five. And... That for me is also a big driver. Like, okay, who am I to to do this and and to give those workshops and to to speak out also yeah. on on like for example social media and in your podcast is because apparently doctors are credible. So if they speak out, people listen, and you really see this shift also in politics since doctors started speaking out also on climate change you see like almost people's ears in politics move like, oh, okay, doctors speak out, then it must be an important topic, climate change, then it must be something big, which is ridiculous. Um, but if it works, yeah, we're happy to speak out. And that's why I urge all healthcare professionals to speak up. Yeah, great. It's also the reverse. Eh? If some people are saying we're in a crisis, but the adults in the room are silent, yeah, I mean, how bad can it be, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in, in uh, politicians, they don't act as if we are in a crisis. So then, maybe we should act as if we are we are in a crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so far, just to be clear, so far, healthcare professionals are not, in general, are not acting like they're in a crisis. Uh, I think the majority is not. Uh, I think what, what gave me hope uh, two weeks ago, I was at a festival of the Green Health Alliance. Last year, there were 150 professionals. And now it was, I think, almost sold out over 700 healthcare professionals. And I, in one year, you see so many people start moving and take steps within our profession and speaking up publicly about climate change. That's super hopeful. Yeah, it's great. So healthcare professionals are starting to listen to the evidence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And still the biggest threat to public health of our times, mm -hmm. would you say it gets the biggest amount of attention? No, definitely not. Mm. I, 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 I don't understand because when you look at the corona crisis, um, you saw that we can make a change. Like the whole schools and, and, and practices were shut down. Um, 
people were acting uh, like in a crisis mode. And I think that for me is the evidence, okay, we can change, we can change drastically. It's just a choice you have. And people are now not making that important choice to, to change the system drastically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about your wedding or is that too personal? Oh. Because I think it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with talking about, I mean, it was the best day of my life. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know, Mario? <laughs> How green was your wedding? Yeah, so I think with all choices you make uh, of course not having a wedding is the is how not having any environmental impact is the best thing to do but of course we wanted to marry uh, me and my husband one uh, like one year ago and we just chose to like in all steps we made for our wedding to make for our uh, what we thought was the best choice to make So there was never a doubt making it vegetarian or not. It was almost completely plant-based. We had some chocolate but, and some cheese, but for the rest it was completely plant-based. Um, we chose to we chose a location who does like all their, uh, they grow their own vegetables and it's like a, a permaculture. So it's a whole, like, I think a circle way of agriculture. Um, we chose a place uh, which was, Uh, accessible by uh, public transport, um, even my dress. Okay, I wanted a second-hand dress. Um, I didn't find a second-hand dress, but I, I found one which was made like in a sustainable way. Uh, like they recycled the water, uh, they made it in Europe. So I'm sure like it's not like child labor or super polluting industry. And then I chose one which I can wear more like it's a top and a, and a skirt mm -hmm. and the top i i still wear yeah. so that's why you're in your wedding dress yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i wear it every day now <laughs> and and the skirt uh i i gave back so so she can sell it secondhand to to people with uh with less money yeah and and my husband he he um, he chose a suit we can which he can still wear and which is made in belgium in a sustainable way so mm -hmm. It was super fun to do it this way and to, I hope, maybe be an inspiration for others. Like I wrote on LinkedIn about it and I got 75,000 views, which is very interesting. It's so nice because the it's now, an, for me, a new example. And it's a happier example because my previous example was a funeral. Oh. Because you also have this Dutch guy who invented uh, like a... Um, a mycelium-based coffin, so it kind of decomposes your body, and it's because apparently putting coffins in the, is also very polluting, and burning people also has mm. emissions, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I also think it's nice because besides the impact, it's also kind of a social impact. Like people start to talk about it. It's yeah, it helps people put on the green glasses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, and how long have you been married? Uh, no, uh, just over a year. So you just had your anniversary. Yeah. And where did you spend your anniversary? Uh, I spent my uh, anniversary on the, on the A12. So it's a, it's a road in The Hague. Uh, <laughs> in the climate uh, protest of uh, Extinction Rebellion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, and you got your husband to go along with this? Or is he also... Uh... 
Yeah, so I think he, he's my biggest support, um, but he's not an activist like me. So, um, But he supports everything I do. Like when I have a, a potluck dinner with Extinction Rebellion in my city and, and I don't have time, he makes this vegan salad, which I can bring to the yeah. potluck. Um, but also he is a supporter of the demonstrations I go to. Yeah, maybe not as an activist as me, but not everybody has to be. We need supporters as well. Yeah, great. So, and I know many, uh, so the Extension Rebellion has the uh, community group, Extension Rebellion Healthcare Professionals, yeah, right? So, definitely, yeah. Uh, they're not very nice photos because I think one of the photos I saw is your, how do you say that? Resuscitating yeah, the earth? Yeah, we did CPR on CPR the Mother on Earth. Mother yeah. Earth, yeah, <laughs> taking turns and everything like that. And you're there in your white coats. Mm -hmm. But how do you feel about, um, because there's also critique because they're saying, well, you know, okay, if you go there as a private, basically you're breaking the law mm -hmm. uh, if you go on the road I don't know if you did that but mm -hmm. there are healthcare professionals who do that you go there in your white coat so you I mean it's an important issue but the law is the law so how do you feel about going there as a professional yeah yeah or do you say well I'm not there as a professional I'm here as a private person Oh, that's interesting. Um, so wearing the white coat with our Extinction Rebellion healthcare professionals logo, I think you cannot say I'm there just as a private person. I mean, no. you you say I work in the, in this field, and we do this to to let people know that also we as as doctors and nurses and and, and um, psychologists are very 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 concerned about the future of the earth and also about climate change. So yeah, we unite because that is really a nice thing to do. And then we say, okay, we're so concerned that we even chose to to block uh, a road in, in the city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, breaking the law. I think it is within the, the like the demonstrate the right to demonstrate. Uh, to do this within sight and sound. So it's an important place in The Hague to, to, to demonstrate against fossil fuel subsidies because that's what it, what it was about. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there as Margarita and, and, and yeah, but I have this sign which says, Deze huisarts maakt zich zorgen. So that means this family doctor is very concerned yeah. and it attracts people's attention. Yeah. Yeah, because you know those fossil fuel subsidies make it easier to emit CO2 and uh, mm -hmm. that causes the health crisis. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just concerned about the decisions uh, politicians make because yeah. apparently they find uh, lobbyists and, and these very, very polluting companies more important than our health, than your health and the, the health of my patients. Like there's 4 billion euros every year going to family medicine, or how do you say yeah. this? And then over 40 billion euros a year to fossil fuel subsidies. I don't understand. I don't understand either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's why I demonstrate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I never thought I would do this. Um, but I think the... It's important, like we can sign petitions and we can walk in 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 climate marches, which is very important to do. But uh, well, it didn't uh, bring us what what is needed, like yeah. radical change. So we need radical measures to to get radical change done. Mm. And if that's blocking a, a road, then yeah.
Let's so do this. Yeah. yeah, so be it on my wedding <laughs> anniversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I talked to you a couple of months ago, I think, and then you said, yeah, I'm, you know, I go there, but there's like different grad- gradations. You can be in the support demonstration or you can go on the road. And then basically when the, the police tells you, okay, if you don't leave now, we'll arrest you, you leave. Mm-hmm. And then there's a next one where you say well i'll stay there even if i get arrested and i think a couple of months ago you were saying i heard you saying that you you go there but you you're not in the grid the place where you get arrested right Mm -hmm. but then later you told me yeah you got arrested yeah (laughs) so what so tell me how did this escalated quickly (laughs) yeah again something we shouldn't step over as a healthcare professional to make the choice to voluntarily get arrested by the police and in your profession as a gp you work a lot with the police right so they're kind of Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that must not have been easy for you to make that no, uh, yeah. Sorry. So I really thought about this, and and I think when the 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 blockade of the road started on the nine um, uh, September this year, yeah. uh, I chose not to be not to get arrested. So I mean, I was on the road a lot with like over ten thousand people, and we're doing CPR on Mother Earth, and we do this for four hours. But then when the police came closer, uh, and also because my husband was there, I mean, I was so happy he was there. I chose not to get arrested. So I I, uh, stepped off the road. Not get arrested on your anniversary. Yeah, I thought, (laughs) oh, that's a shitty end. (laughs) Let's just go home and have a nice dinner. Um, But then uh, a couple of weeks later. Yeah, so uh, they blocked the uh, Yeah, yeah. I should say this because uh, the previous episode I talked to with Anna Kervers. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, she's in Extinction Rebellion and she was talking about uh, then the plan was to block the road every day mm-hmm. starting the 9th of September. Yes. And I think yeah. they've blocked the road for 27 days. 27 yeah. days in a row. Mm-hmm. And the, every day in 12, 12 a.m. Yeah. PM. And now there's a f- going to be a vote in the parliament on a motion to stop fossil fuel subsidies. Mm-hmm. So now that's the reason they stopped is because actually basically it worked. Yeah, because politicians the, are listening. Well, we, I won't say it worked, <laughs> yeah. but there's going to be a vote on it. And they said, okay, we're going to take a pass and wait what the outcome of the vote will be. And then we'll decide if we continue or not. Mm-hmm. And if the, we're not happy with the vote or anything, then we'll start blocking again. Yes. Yeah. But 27 days of peaceful protests with no violent actions from the protesters. Yeah, I don't know if there, I asked around, are there historical examples of this in the Netherlands? I don't know. Maybe someone listening to it can... But I just wanted to mark that as well because yeah. it's, that's quite special. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's, 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 like it's, it's always uh, in a peaceful way, what you said. And I think that's, that's why I also chose to be part of this. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I'm not a violent person. I don't want to break the law. I I want to work as a healthcare professional. Um, but if I can change the system in a radical, peaceful way, mm. yeah, that for me was the the thing which uh, made me uh, make the decision to join those protests, the blockage of the road, and yeah, two weeks later I got arrested. Yeah. 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 So. Maybe the last question, because if you're studying climate science, as because, I mean, you probably didn't study climate science before, you know, the no. person. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that happens w- with a lot of people now, right? You mm-hmm. start to learn, you, you realize, whoa, I, there's a lot I need to learn. It's really complex. You of, Obviously, you know how to read scientific papers and everything like that. Mm-hmm. 
but it's it doesn't really make you happy right if you <laughs> look at uh, mm -hmm. what what's happening now already that's one thing but also where are we heading and also what yeah of course if even the healthcare industry doesn't realize that we're in a crisis and isn't acting on i mean how do you have hope or how do you how do you feel about that yeah yeah I think it's, it changes, I mean, it can differ from day to day, obviously, like all uh, normal emotions uh, can differ. What, what gives me hope is the, the movement I'm seeing now. So if we go back to the floods, uh, I really felt a bit alone. Like one week later, nobody was talking about it and I was still processing everything what happened. And then suddenly you, you come across other uh, people who are also have the same concerns as you, uh, as you have, they speak out and they're also in the same, they have the same feeling like, okay, I'm just one person, but let's try to change the system and the world and also uh, the, prefer uh, the healthcare system. And now there's so, so, so many people who try to do this. And I think that gives me hope. Mm. And I mean, to be fair, we need to, to, to stay hopeful. We, I think we need to, because otherwise we burn out. And I think that is, uh, that hope keeps me going. Mm. That hope of uniting, seeing um, people and systems moving. Maybe not, not as fast as I would like to see them moving, but there is progress. And that brings me hope. Thank you so much for speaking with me in your old science park. Yeah, thank you, Mario. It was really nice speaking about this. Thanks. Thank you for listening. You know, a lot of coffee goes into producing this independent educational podcast. If you want to support me with the towering cost of this coffee, you could subscribe to my Patreon for only one euro per month or make a one-time donation. It also helps if you subscribe on your podcast provider and give a rating, because that's how it works in Plato's Cave. Go to livefromplatoscave.com for more information.